Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Good morning. Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 31 through 34. He put before them a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables, for without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, it's good to be with you and to deliver today's sermon. In my vision for today's message, I was going to deliver this in a garden full of mustard plants, or perhaps create a film showing you the life cycle of a seed. But life got in the way, and so I am delivering today's good news um, in the meditation room at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Um, David and I are here tonight and for the next few weeks with our daughter who had reconstructive airway surgery. We feel your prayers and we are grateful. So instead, I am here amidst a background of clouds and inspirational quotes. Um, today's parable is, asks what the kingdom of heaven is like, and so I guess you'll just have to use your imagination. The summer after my first year of seminary, I had supper with my grandmother once a week. She would cook homemade mac and cheese and a roast, and we'd chat about life. And then we'd watch a video in Joseph Campbell's televised series, The Power of Men. For Campbell, mythology is the song of the universe, the music of the spheres. When described this way, the song sounds both primordial and eternal, the underlying beat of all of our hearts. An important arc of Campbell's myth is the hero's journey. He encourages his students to find their soul's high adventure. Campbell has a powerful way of describing how myths make the world. But that doesn't always work out in practice. There's a totality to myth that is misleading. Jesus didn't tell myths. He taught in a form popular for rabbis in his time, the parable. Parables are stories that, while they seem simple, are not easily flattened. In each, there lies a question that eludes any conclusion. 
parable means thrown alongside. It shares its prefix with paradox, when two seemingly contradictions coexist. The ability for more than one reality to reside in the story is what made Jesus' parables a teaching tool that to the self-aware listener always challenged her to see the world and her role in it in a new way every time she heard it. The biblical scholar John Dominic Crossan is known for his work with the historical Jesus movement and his attempts to decipher the actual biography and sayings of Jesus from the stories that his followers told him about, told about him. Crossan places myth and parable on opposites of the story spectrum. One creates ideologies and the other disrupts them. Myths depend on dualities. Hero, anti-hero, mortal, immortal, male, female, good, evil. The characters and myths are surrogates for the tension that we feel between opposing forces. There is always a protagonist and an antagonizing force. The myth moves forward because of our need to reconcile. Good conquers evil. The virtuous knight slays the dragon. The rightful heir reclaims the throne from the corrupt usurper. Myth is a quest that ends in a destination, a problem that finds a solution, a struggle that ends in abiding peace. Myths assure us but parables unnerve us. They remind us that paradox is part of our reality. We love myths because they show us reconciliation is possible, but myths betray us when we insist that resolution is permanent. Parables, on the other hand, remind us of the presence of the irreconcilable. They remind us that we do not get to stay on one side of a duality, as Walt Whitman said, we contain multitudes. Like the parable, paradox is just a part of our nature. In today's parable, Jesus tells the story of a tiny mustard seed, as if its natural growth were a journey of heroic proportions. The mustard seed was an image that my grandmother loved. Like me, my grandmother loved to read and consider the big questions. She also loved to reflect on her journey in the midst of larger cultural narratives. When I began seminary, she started a creative writing class for senior citizens. Her project was what she called Dear Beth Letters, and it was to write down her memories. Now, part of my assignment to enter seminary and the ordination process was to write what was dubbed my faith journey. So I asked her to write hers as well through these Dear Beth letters. Whereas I began my story um, with my baptism and spotty church attendance, she began several generations before her birth. Here's one of her letters. They read like a history of the rural South, and they're full of all kinds of colloquialism. Her figures of speech are as unique as her handwriting. She writes, it was pretty much like Topsy, 
The mustard seed goes back, of course, to my father and mother, your great-grandfather and great-grandmother, and then beyond them to their parents. Now, the next few letters were about how her kin went about doing what they thought was right by their neighbors. Her grandmother, Gemma, a petite, red-headed woman, tried to integrate her Methodist church in 1901 in the small town of Santa Fe, Tennessee. It's spelled like Santa Fe, but it rhymes with Tennessee. But after several Sundays, my great-grandmother was asked to leave the church. My grandmother's father, Fountain Bruce, or Fount for short, was a country doctor in an even smaller town during the Depression. He would bring my shy grandmother along for house calls so she would see the harsh realities that most folks were facing. On the long, bumpy car ride home, he broke the silence only to say, Now, Hattie, remember that family, whenever you get to feeling sorry for yourself. He never charged for those visits, but the next day my grandmother remembers they find cut firewood or freshly picked turnip greens on their porch. Now these acts of justice and kindness were the seeds to a way of seeing herself and others that was sustaining and life-giving to her throughout my grandmother's life. The germination of the mustard seed, as she called her faith journey, was unexpected and usually marked by the surprising ability for nature or neighbors to live and give more abundantly than they imagined. Implicit in her narrative was that the seed of my grandmother's faith would become a shelter for others. But it did not stand alone as the only shelter. The seed flourished because it entered the soil in a grove of other plants, doing their part to feed and shelter life. There was her great-grandmother Gemma's tree and her father's and the turnip greens of the sick family she visited. She hoped that one day there would be the sprouts of her grandchildren too. Topsy, that's the word she used. It was pretty much like Topsy, she said. The mustard seed goes back a long way. Topsy's a good word for how faith can grow. Now I know mindfulness is all the rage and I'm in a meditation room right now of course and also I would not be able to face the trauma that I have without regular contemplation and quiet attentiveness. But there's also something unplanned and uncontrolled in how we learn to trust God and grow in our faith and our service to others. Topsy, my grandmother knew, was also the name of a character in Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin. She was a young African-American girl searching for inner freedom in a time of slavery. When asked where she came from, she says, Aspect I growed but nobody never made me. Since much of my grandmother's letters are about a family legacy of skepticism and her own issues with the hypocrisy of the church, I think my grandmother would agree that no one made her grow in faith, nor was she intending to do more than survive and alleviate the burdens of the vulnerable around her. And yet, 
With each turn, she found herself supported in some way and given the opportunity to carry another person to safety and rest. When I read the letters, I'm struck by her fierce independence of thought and her reassurance that good can be found or made eventually. Most importantly, that even in our free will and freedom of thought, she believed we are not alone in our endeavors. Topsy faith doesn't follow a script. If anything, it's more like a seed planted under the surface of the soil of our patterns and presumptions. It cracks them open, it shoots forth and blooms and provides nourishment for the birds and others who live around us. Jesus describes the mustard seed as a tree, but it grows like a weed. It grows unexpectedly, even in unfriendly conditions. It is probably a good symbol for what John Lewis called good trouble. Last week, I was struck by an announcement made by the Beacon Hill Black Alliance for Human Rights. They are a grassroots organization here in Decatur, Georgia. Now, Beacon Hill Alliance had supported the Black Student Union at Decatur High School and other young people who advocated for the removal of the Confederate Memorial in the middle of our town square. Since 1908, a 30-foot granite obelisk tried to preserve the false narrative of the lost cause mythology, which has undergirded white supremacist ideas and policies in the American South and beyond since the Civil War. In their recommendation for a new monument where that one once stood, Beacon Hill Alliance wanted to see a different story honored. They wanted to see not so much a myth to preserve a legacy throughout the ages, but a parable to ask the difficult questions in any age. Their statement said, it is our hope that because our youth played such a central role in the removal of the monument, that a statue of a young John Lewis during his SNCC years would be erected in the Decatur Square. This statue would be a reminder of how young people have always been the catalyst for change in the world. John Lewis, as the elder statesman, it could be argued, after a long life of advocacy and public service, would remind us of the hero's journey. But the image of the student activist is the parable of the mustard seed. For it's not just the story of John Lewis, but of the student groups that broke ground on that very spot and of the generations to come that will challenge our myths and our misperceptions. What change needs to happen, asks the image of a young John Lewis. What grounds need breaking through, asks the mustard seed. What certainty needs to be disrupted to make room for more life, asks the parable. Parables are meant to surprise, subvert, and indict. They are not mere ciphers for the spiritual life. They are complex moral challenges told in a certain historical context and meant to be heard by us as individuals enmeshed and implicated in our own contexts.
New Testament scholar A.J. Levine writes, If we hear a parable and think, I really like that, or worse, fail to take any challenge, we are not listening well enough. The image of an imperial mustard seed is supposed to strike us as strange. Tall trees like the cedar of Lebanon that towered over the forest with a canopy full of birds were symbols of power and majesty used to describe the Pharaoh of Egypt or King Nebuchadnezzar of Persia. But the mustard plant is a shrub imbued with different powers than that of domination. Mustard plants are edible. They have healing properties. They grow in arid places and provide great wind shelter. They aren't tall, maybe six to 20 feet, but they spread wide, providing good shade and cover for birds. A mustard plant needs very little to thrive, but has much to give the creatures that seek it out. And it rarely thrives alone, but multiplies. Could it be that the kingdom of heaven appears where we least expect it, but need it the most? Just like the marvelous mustard plant that takes root in unexpected and humble places, then plants more seeds for more sheltering shrubs. Friends, we are living in turbulent times. Perhaps we should think about our own version of top seed faith. How far back can we trace the seed? What stories shaped us before we were born? What myths have we left unquestioned? And what narratives do we need to disrupt? What parables do we need to let perturb and Push us. And who else is asking the questions? Who else is planting the seeds and sheltering new life? I invite you to sit with the parables of Jesus this week. Read them once a day. Find the places that don't make sense. The seeds of discomfort in them. Find those. Stay there in the irreconcilable and let the unresolved thoughts, actions, and relationships in your life and world surface. Hold them for a while. Don't try to heroically slay these dragons. Don't erect a monument to a myth. Just identify the paradoxes and ask yourself, what does the kingdom of heaven look like right here? right now? And how do I be the seed or the yeast that amplifies?